Good morning. How's everyone going? This is the new start time. Monday, I think this is the second in a row. So that pretty much, that's where it's at. Mondays is definitely the better the better time uh, analytically to um, to launch a podcast, it would seem. I don't know about you, but I don't really dial into podcasts on a, on a Friday night, which is when I was trying to get them out before, stupidly. So Monday, podcast, big wonder Monday. Uh, my podcast today is coming to you from New York City where I sit down and chat with a good friend of mine, Yvonne Cohn. Uh, Yvonne and I first uh, crossed paths when I was living in New York back in 2015. And uh, that's when I had just started sort of entertaining the idea of being an actor. Uh, but Yvonne is, 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 a, is a well an established actress, uh, originally from California, been out in New York for 10 years. And we had a really, really good in-depth chat about some of uh, the differences between or some of the the things that you and I here in Melbourne um, may not realise is, is the state of play over in the States. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, it's kind of the holy grail for all of us to get over to, to America and get that O1 or get that green card, which we all know is either super expensive or fucking impossible. Um, you got to get really, really lucky. And I've always, I got very close when I was living in New York. I, I had an, an, an agent and the application was in and the lawyer and then it all changed and, and it got taken away. And so... One of the things that that um, Yvonne and I talk about is the fact that in the last, I'm not going to misquote here because I don't have it in front of me, but let's just say last 18 months to two years, um, Yvonne has everything that she's done, she has had a hand in producing or writing or creating and, and she's still auditioning crazy and she's very talented. It has nothing to do with that, that the, the, the dynamics are shifting. And albeit it's still obviously the place to be and there is a, a shit ton more work, um, there's more to it than I think that a lot of us believe there is out here. You know, we just sort of see that it's the it's the go-to, it's it's the dream. Um, but but it's all hard graft, man, and no one grafts harder than Yvonne. We also dive into her upcoming short film, uh, which is doing the, the rounds now for the... First uh, festival submissions, and we we had a real good chat about some of the her experiences with the sort of new trend in, in diversity and where it's actually been really really great. Um, not that it's not ever great, but but you know there is this thing that happens where a, a new move that is at its core in the right direction can go a little too far one way before it. It finds the middle, you know, the pendulum swings uh, for a couple of big, big arcs before it before it centers. And we dive into her upcoming feature, which is her first feature and what that means to her and how it came to her and, and the incredibly layered process that she's going through in order to get this made. I was really, really, really stoked to sit down and, and have this chat with her. She's an incredible human being um, and, yeah, have a great listen and thanks for listening. Cheers. Bye-bye. Don't forget that if you want that $100 off your wine, you need to go to www.nakedwines.com.au slash wonder and you'll get $100 off a 12-pack case of wine. You've heard me talk about it a million times. Not going to go on about it. The, the link is in the description. Get yourself some fucking delicious wine. 
at $100 off. I mean, it's $100 off. And if that's not your bag and you're an actor here in town and now that the restrictions are starting to be lifted and you need to get some new headshots, I certainly could use the cash and and everyone could probably use a fresh look because, you know, maybe you've got three inches extra on your hair and you've decided to go for a whole new look. So if you come to me, um, you can hit me up on, on any of the socials and uh, you'll get 20% off a shoot with me um, if you just provide a little bit of a... Uh, proof of sharing the podcast, right? So you, you can show me that you've subscribed and you've maybe even written a review, something like that, just to, just so that we can, you know, the more people that listen, the better this will go and, and the better it is for everyone here in town too because if, if Big Wonder becomes a place that producers start to listen to, that's really good news for all of us. So give it a share, give it a, give it a review, give it a, um, a, a five-star and if you need those headshots, let me know. 20% off. Well, Yvonne, this is amazing. I, I really, really appreciate you doing this. This is so good. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's nice to see your face. <laughs> yeah, we... Um, do you know, I thought about this before. Um, you're the only person from my like year that I was in New York that I keep in touch with. Really? Isn't that crazy? Like the transient friendships that you have, like especially in the acting artist community, like not that we ever w- knew each other professionally, we knew each other socially, but it just was chance that we were both, well, I was only very, very new to the game at that point. But um, yeah, you're the only person and even e- even people that I thought for sure, like we're going to have a long friendship. See you later, gone. I think that happens for everybody to a degree. There are definitely people who, when I first moved to the city, I met them right away at an audition or on the subway or something. And we felt a very strong, you know, mutual inclination towards each other. And now it's been 10 years I've been here and I don't know many of those people anymore. And I think that's okay. And others have been in my life the whole time. Yeah, I'm I'm, like, I've I've talked about this um, previously, but it is like, it's funny the the ones that stick and the ones that don't and the times in your life when it's easier and the times in your life when it's harder and how, um, New York is definitely a place that I feel that you can make what seems like very strong bonds very quickly. Whereas in Australia, it takes a lot of time. It's a real different environment. Yeah. Why is that? I don't know if it's certainly I can tell you from my age group perspective that Australians um it's kind of like that LA thing right where where people aren't forced to be in each other's spaces so much so they become a little bit distant they spend some more time in the car than they do jammed on a subway where they're used to interacting and and it's just what the done thing whereas you know our bars and our clubs are these giant rooms that's quite spaced out. Whereas, you know, like in Britain and New York, you've got these little holes in the wall, you know, where everyone's together. It's a bit like that. And when you're 35, 36 or whatever, and you move to a city on your own, everyone in your age bracket has got kids and they've got friends that they've had for 20 years. 
And it's like, well, I'm busy and I'm too busy for new people. You know what I mean? So it becomes very strange. But when I lived in the UK, when I was 20, it was like instantaneous friends. You know what I mean? Like yeah, it was very quick and you would all live together in a house or, or whatever. And, 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 um, yeah, so that was a, that was an interesting thing when I came back from New York, having been in a place where I was making friends really, really quickly alone at 32 to moving to Melbourne and only in the last year after four years have I made friends that I could kind of count on. You know, like I feel like part of that also is that as we age, we get more discerning about the kind of people we want in our lives. Yeah, sometimes totally. they may not have time for us, but also, you know, I find myself wanting very particular kinds of people in my life who who bring me something as well as I give them something. Yeah. You know? Yeah, agreed. hundred percent. And that's the same with new relationships when you're older too, right? You have a very clear parameter or dynamic of, of, of who's going to come into your world. Cause you've, if you've got a, sh- a head on your shoulders, you've already worked out what doesn't work and what does work and what you, what you can negotiate on and what you can't. Yeah. Um, I just noticed that my, my end of the camera, you're only just getting the sort of the top of my head. Aren't you? Do you want me to fix that real quick? <laughs> Go for it. Yeah. <laughs> my whole head is definitely, <laughs> definitely in this. <laughs> Oh my god, I can see you. Yeah, it must have slipped because it was. Been, yeah, anyways. I was wondering if That's your better. side of the camera was just like you. You weren't worried about it because your camera was capturing everything. No, well, I was like, I can see you fine, but then I looked up and I was like, oh, you can just barely see me. So that's this is better. Um, <laughs> um, well, let's. I want to just sort of semi start with. Um, why I wanted to talk to you because, you know, predominantly my audience of 18 or 20 or whatever it is, (laughs) yeah, um, are all here. You know, they're all, it's, it really is like a localized, um, conversation to a point, but this, um, COVID thing obviously has social distancing and what have you has changed who I can and can't speak to for the time being, but also, here in Australia, and I, you and I have spoken about this before, and um, there was something you said to me recently, which I was really kind of a bit like, whoa, shocked by, because over here, the Holy Grail is is getting that green card and getting that O one one visa and being able to move to the States and, and you know, take your acting career to the next level, because it's very esoteric here and it's very locked down. They don't like new things. They you know, there's articles written about the 10 Australian actors that are in everything. You know what I mean? Like it's just, whereas New York is the complete opposite. Um, it's flavor of the month. It's fresh faces. It's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Let's find, let's discover, let's discover, let's discover. That was my experience anyways. Um, and I said to you recently, I said, you know, you don't know how lucky you are to be there and have that. Like, even if there's more competition, the amount of work going far exceeds the odds that are stacked against us here. But you said something to me, you said, you know, and I can't remember exactly what you said. You said the majority of what I've done in the last year has been created by me. 
And I was like, whoa, like, fuck, that was not what I expected to hear. I have not been cast in a play on stage in the past five years that I did not have a hand in producing. Jesus. It, and you're still auditioning for other ones, though? I'm still auditioning. I mean, I, I have agents here and I have a manager here and I get sent out for Broadway and off-Broadway and some of the more large regional theaters that I'm interested in, in going to at this point. Um, because it is all about, you know, as you age, like we said, you're, you become more discerning as to where you're willing to go. And when you have a partner or when you have kids or whatever, you don't want to go to Wyoming for four months. <laughs> you know, you want to go to yeah, Connecticut yeah. or Rhode Island or somewhere within, within reason, a uh, reasonable distance at least. Why is that? Like, what, what do you, what's your experience of that? Because like I said, this is, this was what I think is really fascinating for people out here to hear. Mm. I, I think there are many factors. I think it's about exposure for sure. Um, if you have interest from larger agencies, if you have a following of some kind from something, whether it be YouTube or Instagram or Facebook, as ridiculous as it is, I think that having a following now is something that's deemed important to some people. Um, mm -hmm. And I also think that we're at a place, which I've talked to you about in in regards to your new uh, um, screenplay, that we're in a place where they're not looking for me most of the time now. They're not looking for a white woman with brown hair who's, yeah. you know, pretty, but, you know, not a supermodel, plays 20 to 30 for mm -hmm. every role, which is fantastic how wonderful that we're living in a world now where there is a sense of moving towards equality we're not there yet um hopefully we will be mm. but i also think that that has taken away maybe from some of the prospects that i maybe had 10 years ago which is okay it means that i have an opportunity to create both for myself and for people who aren't like me and that there's just space being made everywhere in general. You know, it's easy to get annoyed with or angry with, I think, for some people. But for me, it just, I guess, gives me opportunity to make the kind of things I want to make. Yeah, I think getting pissed off about it certainly is a waste mm -hmm. of time. Um, and I understand it. And, and, and for me... Like I have a friend who I know it it, it, it bugs the shit out of them, um, but but because they are, you know, getting close to things, and then it being swapped out just to fill a criteria, you know, and so for, for, from my perspective, I'm not even. I'm not even getting close to things to even be annoyed about it. So, you know what I mean? It's like, well, fuck that. It, it'll it'll swing back around by the time I've got enough momentum. Mm -hmm. um, I have an interesting story. It does. <laughs> go. Here, Sorry, I, just, I have an, an interesting story about that. I, for a long period of time, like two, three years, I had half of my head shaved. Um, and I loved it more than anything. But so I was going in... This was 20... 
16 to 2018, probably. And I actually, yeah, I actually got cast um, a few times while I had that, which was great. And my, my, you know, agents and managers weren't the happiest about it, but I actually got work. Um, but I did, I did go in for the first time when I had my head half shaved for executive producers for a major TV show. And I got really darn close to getting this role. And it was something I really wanted. I knew it was going to be a big deal. I knew it would end up being a recurring for many seasons and it did. Um, but it was a gender non-binary role. And I looked more like I lived in that realm, even though I'm not, I am a hetero female and that's okay too. Um, but they actually cast a gender non-binary person in this part. And it, at first, I had a mixture of how exciting. I've never gone up against someone for a role like this and actually had the person who deserves to get it because those roles haven't existed before get it. Right. But also a little that little pang of, oh, but I would have done so well. But it's but it's better this <laughs> way. It's hard. Was that was that for billions? Mm-hmm. <sighs> oh man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and she is Asia is amazing on the show. I have She's incredible. I have two friends. Yeah. I have two friends who star in the show who are amazing actors. Um, one is Australian. One no, he's from Tasmania. <laughs> Um, Who's that? Uh, Toby Moore uh, is on the show. Which character does he play? Oh, God. He's Paul Giamatti's, like, second-hand, right-hand guy. Um, I don't know the character's the, name. The big fella. Is he big? I don't... With the dark... He has dark hair, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they become enemies. Do they? I haven't watched all the way through, to be fully honest. I'm still, like, at, I'm at, like, the end of season one, and I've watched bits of, like, Asia's work because I was interested, so... Right, That's right, 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 right. Well, she doesn't come in until like I think the third season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but if it's Paul Giamatti's right hand man in the beginning, God, I never would have thought he was Australian. His his accent is flawless. If it's who I'm thinking He's of, he's got a great, great American accent and just like a nice person. And every I have multiple friends who have gone on that show and been on it for a long period of time. And everyone they cast on that show is so solid. They have the most solid New York cast. It's really unbelievable because he was if it is who I'm thinking of he was also the um, the kingpin's right hand man in Daredevil and yes. he just plays yeah. a prick yeah. really well <laughs> Toby is a phenomenal actor I would love to be, be yeah, on screen is. with He's him great. someday <laughs> wow that's amazing dude see yeah incredible and we met through we met um, through another Australian actor that's how we even met is working with um, Josh Hellman from uh, X-Men yeah I remember you saying mm-hmm. yeah 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 um, and you guys are still in touch you guys are still close um, I mean we talk on Facebook I mean I don't think anybody <laughs> no one's close right now that's for sure and I think again yeah, like yeah. these relationships you know you can be in a movie with someone you can know someone for years and then they go do one thing and you go do another and you stay in touch every once in a while when you can but again it's that discerning thing of everyone has to kind of go their own path at some point and sometimes you wave hello and sometimes you don't yeah you know. and and it takes it takes energy mm-hmm. too, and that's that's a hard one too. Is is, is, is investing in 
distant friendships mm-hmm. can be, not that it's taxing or anything like that. It's just. You forget. It doesn't become a high priority. Yeah. Yeah. And that's okay. I think I don't, I mean, like I said, like we talked about in the beginning, I, uh, there are lots of friendships that I've either chosen to distance from or other people have or whatever it may be. And we all need to do our own thing for ourselves oftentimes. And then, you know, if you come back together at some point, awesome. You know, I think, I think it's just about yeah. being a being a positive influence in people's lives and being someone that people want to work with at some point. I think that's probably one of the most valuable lessons that I got taught. Um, so just for, for everyone listening, um, you and I know each other through like, so, well, we met on Tinder actually. Yeah. In, in, <laughs> long time in ago. Long time ago. A long time ago. God, 2015. Oh, um, before then. It had to be before then. No, no, it was 2015. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Because I had come back for my second second run in New York um, around the first of March, two thousand fifteen. Yeah, and I think I would have met you around the tail end of March because it was still freezing cold. Yeah, um, crazy. <laughs> and then you trained me for my audition to TAFTA, mm-hmm. so which is the the Television Academy here in Melbourne. Because um, when I came back to Australia. I was applying for a visa through my agent in New York and then that all f- fell apart. So I had to, I was like, well, I've got to stay here and, and train. And um, and then, yeah, I, one of the components of this television acting school, which we never touched um, Shakespeare again, was to learn a Shakespearean monologue and deliver that as part of our audition. <laughs> What's the point if you're not going to uh, use it? <laughs> uh, it was it was crazy. Um I would. So, anyways, I got in, but um, and and that that was great, and that was just like we are now on on uh, video chats, and that that was like just something that I never ever thought was going to cr- come across my table was to have to learn Shakespeare because I'd always. One thing I've learned as I've got older is to be very specific with my creative like endeavors Mm. you know because I'm not 15 and I can't dabble in a bunch of different things I have to be really really um, economical with with where I invest my energy and and so I was like well I'm never going to be on the stage I don't really have a lot of interest in in stage especially after that show you took me to and, Which uh, one? <laughs> this is terrible. Man, we nearly walked out. We nearly walked out. If you, if you recall, I don't. What show did we see? Fuck, I don't know. It was a mate of yours, and it was it was really fucking bad. I'm, I'm so sorry. I took you to see bad theater. There's a lot of it in New York. Sorry to say, there is. <laughs> Well, actually, interestingly enough, isn't it funny? You, you know, like you're the only actor that I that I meet in New York because I was really still in the fashion world at that mm. point, and um, I think we only ever we only ever hung out three times. One, you took me to a play that we neither of us liked, and you're sort of looking at me going, "I'm really sorry, man." And um, <laughs> and then we both tried to sit down and watch the Theory of Everything, which we turned off. Sorry, everyone. We didn't. We went into it. It was really pretty. You know, I know, I know. It was a very pretty movie, yeah. but it was pretty boring as well. <laughs> Sorry. It was fucking boring, man. And I know they won Oscars and stuff, but god damn it. It was well acted. 
did. And that it was, just was boring. <laughs> yeah. It was boring. Yeah. Um, We're going to get hate mail. So, yes, anyways. <laughs> From Stephen Hawking fan. <laughs> it was... Yeah. Um, it was it was strange to have to do this... this um, Shakespeare, but I was very grateful that that I knew someone like you to help me to do it because I knew you well enough to not be terrified, you know, because I hadn't really done any training at that point to then be thrust into learning that. I mean, I remember my audition for it and then talking to my other acting coach who helped me with the, the standard scene work and he's like, so how did it go, man? I was like... Do not remember it at all. You know, it's like, well, that generally means it's good. And I was like, fuck, it was that, it was, I, had, I still to this day, I have zero memory of, of how it went down. Other than to say she was like, great, that was it. Really cool. <laughs> yeah, cool. Um, next one. Awesome. So, um, Tell me then, what do you just you before we got on camera? You said that you have been editing for the last six weeks or something like that. Can you talk about what you're doing? Yeah. Um, so I wrote my first um, short film in 2015. Um, I was visiting a friend up in Rhode Island, and his dad has this amazing backyard, like huge, with this beautiful, pristine blue pool right in the middle, and this like white picket fence all the way around it and we were hanging out by the pool with my friend's little white dog and talking about theater and life and death and and all of these things and I I thought of my parents and we and he and I kept talking and I ended up writing a short film kind of set in that space and um found a producer for it and we filmed it in 2016 and we have had a lot of really bad luck as far as editing goes um over the past three and a half four years uh it's now edited beautifully um we had to find a sound studio to take care of the sound because uh, the editor did not take care of that for us in the way we wanted him to. Um, and the sound studio, Studio Unknown, did a wonderful job. Then got another editor who then had to fix credits and fix a couple other framing things. And so, like, two editors and a whole separate sound studio later, we have a really stunning short film that is fully complete. Um, it is officially off to festivals. We submitted it to 10 festivals that we are highly, wow. highly interested in. Um, it's a stunning film. It's 23 minutes long, so a longer short film. Awesome cast. Like some of my favorite people in the world and just the seven of us hanging out in New Jersey filming this thing was one of the best experiences of my life. Um, and what's it called? It's called Take Me With You. <clears throat> um, it was directed nice. by Gary Memmi. Uh, and it stars Spencer Garrett, who is from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Bombshell and lots of movies. Spencer's in everything and he's a phenomenal actor and human. He's actually running uh, the only SAG after contract right now uh, during the COVID crisis. It's called Quarantine the Series. Um, and it's based off of the lives of uh, uh, soap opera actors who are now uh, out of work and Zooming with each other. It's very cute. It's great. Um, so he's in it. Uh, James Udom is in it, who's a wonderful up and coming actor. 
uh, David Holmes, who's starring in High Fidelity on Hulu with um, Zoe Kravitz. Like, just, yeah, just yeah. phenomenal cast, great people, great times. It's it's so near and dear to my heart. That whole experience was so positive. Um, yeah. That's a that's awesome. I'm and I'm and I'm sorry that you that uh, and I because I'm going through that post hell mm-hmm. myself um, for for a short film, which will probably end up being around the same amount of time. Um, Twenty three. Well, that's actually about forty five minutes worth of consecutive footage at the moment. Um, yeah, it's brutal. And mm-hmm. so, tell me, like, if you can, why, like. Did you know, because this is what seems to happen a lot, is that, and it's the same in my case, we get enough momentum to get everyone together, to shoot it, to get the funds, and it gets shot, and then you're sort of left holding the ball afterwards and it's and everyone there's this mentality of we'll just get it shot and it looks great someone will swoop in (laughs) and take care of the rest or or whatever or maybe i'll be able to save enough money to do the second part or maybe someone said that they would do it and then within the time it took to then get around to that they're like i can't do it anymore what happened for you um i was left holding the ball completely um, I held mm-hmm. this baby in my hands by myself for four <laughs> years, basically. It's, it's what it feels like. I mean, the director's fantastic, and he has, especially since the film's been in this last little process, he's been phenomenal in helping get stuff together for festivals, and it's been amazing, and I love him. Um, and the executive producer, along the way, like, he was there, but I had to really push him. And in the end, it right. was he and I and Spencer and another actor from the film, uh, Clayton Stalker Myers, who just rounded up even more money and, like I said, had to pay this sound studio to fix our sound for us, which was the biggest thing, um, and raise money for always festivals. Always the sound. Always, if you have shitty sound and shitty lighting, you have a shitty movie. Yeah. I don't care how Straight good your up. acting is. I don't care how good the story is. If your lighting and sound sucks, I'm not going to watch it. And no one else yeah. will either. It's annoying. It's distracting. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, I would rather wait an extra two years and make sure that we have a beautiful looking and sounding film along with how beautiful the story is, in my opinion, and the acting, in my <laughs> opinion. Um, I was in it too, but like everyone else is amazing. Um, yeah. I would rather wait and take time than put out a product that I'm not satisfied with. I have never put out a product that I am not 100% behind as far as mm-hmm. that goes and same with the two other projects I'm working on right now so yeah so what what can I ask what happened why this like what was wrong with the sound mm-hmm. and why why the giant hiatus like the sound was actually relatively great it could have definitely gone off to some festival with the way that it was and even our sound studio and our sound mixers said that um but because we shot outdoors the entire film other than one small scene happens outside it was in the middle of summer we had the pool on we had the jacuzzi on we had all of these sounds Mm -hmm. that are really great for ambiance but in small doses if you have an entire scene in a hot tub and all you hear in the background is the hot tub going that scene is not usable And it had to be usable because it was a major plot point of the film. So just had to wait and raise the money and find the right people to do that. Because if you're willing to put out a product that that is not 
to you perfect. It may not be perfect, but to you perfect. I don't think you as an artist are ever going to be satisfied with it. You're never going to feel like it was really Yeah, complete. it's going to bug you. It's going to bug you, yeah. And I don't want to walk around with, with yeah. regrets for the work that I've made, you know? Do you find uh, – I've got two questions. Yeah. Don't let me forget them. Okay. okay, first question. So did you have to do a lot of ADR for this or was it all salvageable? Zero ADR. Okay, that's great. Zero. I'm That's awesome because ADR happy. sucks. ADR sucks. Yeah. I am very happy we did not have to do any ADR. And that was the biggest worry awesome. was that we'd have to go back in and get the actors back in and do all this work. And I fought, I fought tooth and nail to not have to do that. I also fought tooth and mm-hmm. nail to get a drone on this shoot and I kept being fought. And then after we had it, and we had the shots. Everyone was like, that's so great. And I was like, I know. <laughs> that's why I fought for it. <laughs> so were you... Pre- okay, I'm going to... Okay, now I have a, a third question. Okay, second question first. I don't want to forget this. <laughs> yeah. Let me ask you, do you... Were you... What was your hierarchical sort of position on this film mm. being someone that was acting in it writing in it raising the funds it sounds very similar to my situation you're kind of across three hats four hats yeah. was that hard for anyone or was that a conflict um it wasn't hard for me it wasn't hard for the director i think our dp and editor found it hard at times because i was co-starring in it with six other people it's an ensemble piece we all have an equal amount of screen time um mm-hmm. So co-starring in it, produced it, uh, wrote it, was uh, crafty. I cooked every single meal three times a day for the entire (laughs) cast and crew for the entire week that we were together. Um, And I was basically assistant directing saying yeah, you can cut this. No, you should add this in. Yes, I want the drone. I fought for the drone for days, like begging for certain things not to be left out because I I knew they'd be used later on, and they were. So I think that across the board, it was very, very smooth. Even the tiny little hiccups that we had or moments where I felt like I, you know, my opinion wasn't wanted in that moment. Um, It was Mm -hmm. never angry it was never there was never the true conflict it was pretty pretty smooth and that's because most of us knew each other trusted each other we were being taken care of by wonderful people staying in beautiful houses on the jersey shore like it was just such a calming experience in general being there and being together that even those Mm -hmm. tiny little things like they were smoothed over so fast it was never really a problem oh that's good that's good that's awesome Um, because i found that to well I didn't find it tough. Everyone else Mm. found it tough Mm. Um, (laughs) that I was, you know, like I paid for the film and and it was shot at my house and I co-wrote it and I was producing and I was acting in it. And so I had a very, obviously a very... um, You were close to it. It was precious uh, to you. Well, a very weighty opinion on on it too, right? Like, Mm. you know, I can... You, you just, it is your role as a producer to come in and stop something that isn't working or um, edge it towards where you want it to go and, and what have you. So that, that damaged a lot of egos, mm. two egos. But um, <laughs> but we've made a little bit of headway, but that's nearly, you know, it's 18 months ago that that was shot and it was supposed to have been wrapped up within four months of... You know, and 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 my experience, and I won't go into it too too in depthly, um, but just just to 
to back and forth with you was that they came at me for full creative control of the film mm. um, after it had been shot. And um, I was like, huh? <laughs> what? Mm. You, so you want me to contractually hand over the rights to my film? Why would I do that? You're not the first person you know? I've heard say that. Crazy. 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 I've never and experienced it, it, but I've heard of several people having gone through that. Well, what was crazy to me was, A, why do you think that you're entitled to this? B, who hasn't stopped you to tell you that this is crazy? Because I've spoken now to the Directors Guild, to producers, to a collection of people who, who between them would have 200 years experience. Mm-hmm. None of them agree with you and can understand why you would try and do this and I put the film on ice for 12 months Mm. because I had to take it off them you know Um, but in the end I actually handed it back over and I said well you can have all the things you want but you have to pay for all of it Mm. so now the entire post-production is yours so but they're trying to do their best to not pay for any of it. <laughs> but anyways, but they've got me a first draft cut um, recently, which was in the nick of the t- nick of time. I said you have until the 29th of Feb to have that done, and they had it on the day. Wow. But my other question was because this is something that I worry about, and and maybe it's because, and I could be wrong that you're in your early days of acting, your sort of should be your progress curve is very rapid. Mm. You know, you can, if you're, if you're chipping away at it from your very first self tape, four years down the line, your self tapes should be chalk and cheese, Mm. you know, like all your performances. So, and I've looked at the footage the other day and I'm, I'm not like, fuck, but I'm like, I also am aware that I've been acting for another two years and that maybe I'm disconnected from this film by the time it comes around and that's a concern. But by the sounds of it for you, that's not, That's which is great. That's not for me at all and that's okay. I think we all have our own process. But I think also one of the best pieces of advice I recently read when I was looking for new editors to help fix these little things about Take Me With You. Um, some, I, can't, I wish I could remember who I, who I read it by. It was some blog by an editor director online. And he said, you know, the worst thing a director, producer, writer could be when it comes to the editing of a film is attached to it. You want to be completely indifferent to whatever you filmed on the day, to whatever you think something should be about it. And you just want to be an objective observer and create the best story possible. It's really hard to create the best story possible if every single moment that you filmed is so precious to you you can't cut it or you can't see that it's not as good as maybe someone else's yeah you know scene mm. or something else that you know could fit in there that maybe something else should be cut um so while i do i like my work in it i like my work on it i like i like my work in all the films i've made to be honest like i hope everybody does to some degree like like their own work and like themselves because we as actors mm-hmm. uh, self-hate a lot we have very low self-worth and self-esteem and it needs to stop 
because we are we it's are crazy. worthy and we are wonderful and beautiful and yeah. talented and smart and failures failures at everything which is what makes us great actors and winners eventually you have to fail to succeed um so yeah like i i think that while i don't hold anything precious i enjoy all the work which makes me i think able to be both objective and excited at the same time you know excited for what Mm -hmm. it will be excited for what it was um and i let lots of people in along the way as well you know i get different people's opinions okay did you actually like that do you think we should use that um i don't know if my writing here is so good can we cut this you know can we put something else in Mm -hmm. there um but I think it's different for everybody. It is different for everyone. And um, I agree with you 100% on that. Um, it's, it's really good that you say that because I've talked about this um, on the podcast before and it's something that I've believed for a lot of years um, that if you don't like it, if you're a creative, why the fuck did you do it? You know, it's it's one thing to do something that you believed was going to be great and it turns out it wasn't so great and you acknowledge that. Like it really, really isn't. But it's another thing to just hate on everything that you've done because you feel like, well, maybe, <clears throat> I mean, maybe you are super depressive, but which is, and I'm sorry about that, but maybe you also think that that's the cool thing that you're supposed to do, that you're like a fucking Marlon Brando or Johnny Depp who never watches their own stuff and just thinks everything's rubbish, which I think is having like studied at art school and seen it happening and, 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 oh, oh, it's terrible. Like it's this pre-programmed idea that you're not allowed to sit there and go, oh yeah, that was, that was fucking good. You know, like you have to pretend that you think it's shit while secretly you're like, yeah, that was awesome. You know, there's a bit of that that happens and I just think, well, fucking, I'm either, I'm, I'm calling you out because what, I don't believe you or... Why the hell are you doing it if you don't like it? I, I do agree to an extent. I think that it is, I think it's wonderful to be modest and to be humble and to be grateful and thankful for everything that happens to you in your life, for every opportunity that you have. Um, it's also okay to be modest if you aren't enjoying the work that you did. I think that's fine. But yeah, the idea of like the self-hate or I'm shit in that or I'm not going to watch myself on screen because I hate the way I look, I hate the way I sound I have those moments too but I still watch and I still listen and I try to learn from myself when I don't like certain things that I do my tics my habits um my uh, inability yeah especially in my inability work. to slow down yeah. sometimes I talk really fast and that's something that's been some I've done that my entire <laughs> life um but just like I watch another actor's work and I learn from it I watch my past work and I try to learn from it and I can't do that if I'm sitting there hiding my myself yeah. from myself <laughs> like I can't I can't hide from me yeah it totally totally yeah yeah I'm yeah always there. you're always the one there. person you can't hide from <laughs> you have to be able to live with yourself and work with yourself if you want to live and work with others a hundred percent a hundred percent um yeah it, I, I've said this before I I'm still tackling with um I I am on the other side of it where I'm still so proud of myself for finally becoming an actor that, excuse me, I think that everything that I do is really, really great. I'm like, wow, you really, you're really doing it, buddy, you know? And, um, 
recently I did this scene for like an online club that, um, I mean, it's international, but it's based here in Australia uh, called Stage Milk. And a really great guy called Andrew Hurl. Um, he runs this great online club and it's it's every month you submit a piece and they select the pieces for you or you can do your own but there's and then there's like online classes and there's heaps of resources and then he has like three zoom chats with big directors and actors and and what have you and it's it's really really great and I submitted my piece this month which I in my own mind I was like fuck yeah that's that's pretty good man like I was really really happy with it and he just tore it apart and um not in a bad way because he's very, very kind and very gracious and what have you. Um, but it was just like pretty much nothing good about it. And it was an interesting one because I had to come back to him and sort of say, shit, we need to, we need to, 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 to break this down a little bit more because like I'm not actually getting anything that you're saying you know it was like it was a really strange <clears throat> review process for me like because I really thought that I hit the mark and one of the things was was just a, a, a lack of communication in how to tackle this isolated monologue in just as as a standalone scene so I took it completely out of context from the show and made it something entirely different um which has been taught to me as an exercise that you can do and just and just just in acting just just you know like you're not that guy right like it was from mr robot i'm not rami malik i'm not i don't look like that guy i'm not going to be that guy um and i don't want there to be any association to whomever may watch it and go, oh, that's from Mr. Robot and Jesus doing a bad Rami impersonation. But actually they wanted me to stick to those given mm-hmm. circumstances. So they're watching it going, well, this doesn't fucking make sense at all. I don't, I'm not sure what's happening in this at all. So, yeah, and that was, yeah, one of those, those, those conversations where you, I was, I was waiting for that email to come back and be like, great work, buddy. <laughs> you know? How amazing. How <laughs> amazing to have it, how amazing to have an opportunity <laughs> to learn from your own work, you know? Very much so. Yeah. And, and that was, that was what's really great about Andrew and that, you know, then I was able to send him like, I sent him like a 10 minute voice message, like breaking down all of his notes and beats so that I, with, with the, the, the setup of, I really want to come out the other side of this conversation, knowing mm. how to move forward. So I'm not ringing you now to say, fuck you, man, this is bullshit. I gave, poured my heart and soul into this thing. And, you know, and we did, we, we found a really nice um, through line that then we sort of met each other in the middle and that I can take. Um, and one of those things, it's a common thing, actually, I found like in my last sort of three or four things that I've submitted to people to, to review is just sometimes I'm, I'm leaning in a little too hard, you know, on those, on those key moments where you could, you could just tighten it up just that little bit more, you know, and not sort of lament or, 
bury into it just which is so fucking weird that we do this right when we're learning because we think it needs to be there but you would never do it in real life for some reason (laughs) i don't know why i don't know why we do this because i've definitely done it we get bogged into a specific emotion and we wash the whole piece with that emotion of sorrow of revenge of anger of lust of whatever it is instead of playing every line every objective word is a new emotion a new tactic a new action a new a new way to manipulate and get a reaction from the person you're talking to whether it's the audience and you're doing a soliloquy from Shakespeare or it's a monologue in a a TV series or a film or or a contemporary play I mean the whole goal is to get a reaction from somebody else and we don't ever just talk to someone in one way I'm not doing this whole interview with you really angry or really hopeful or really whatever like every every moment is a new you know a new mountain and valley well, that's, I mean, therein lies the real skill, especially in self-taping, where you're not cutting to anyone else's reactions and you have to, it's a different pacing and it's a different momentum and the task, like it's okay if you're being asked to do an eight-minute monologue where you've got the space for the big change, well, not big changes, but for those changes. But when it's, okay, keep it under two minutes, but also color it, you know, but without, and so that's the skill is to do it in an effective way and not in a over the top way. Oh, there's that beat. There's that beat, you know, and these big, you know, relying on um, uh, disingenuous uh, affectations and what have you. That's the that's it the is, skill, and I can't yeah. say that I am I am a master or expert at it. I don't think uh, most people are. I think that some some people do become that. They they audition wonderfully, or they self tape wonderfully, or they audition live wonderfully. But it's it's a hard place to get to that you can be in the room and be perfect, self tape be perfect, be on stage and be doing it in front of a theater full of empty seats, but a director and a casting director sitting in front of you would be perfect. I mean, it's all <laughs> they're all different skills, and you got to pick up those abilities and manipulate them for yourself in whatever way you you feel right yeah it is it 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 really is a whole new skill unto itself and and i do love it's one thing that i do love about the space that we're in i some people say that they don't but i really really do love Mm -hmm. the self-tape world like not not, i don't sit there and do 20 takes not not typically because i'm just like i i really like to find it quickly all right (laughs) it's always the last one like if i'm getting to right 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 yeah it is always the last one for sure i think that it should be because if you got it on the first then what the fuck were you doing with the rest good for you if you're getting your self-tapes done in one take and you're getting cast from it like i bow down to you please teach teach me your way 100 percent yeah i definitely one thing i do like this is this is the thing that i do now because and also i'm not auditioning for i've only just recently auditioned for something of any any kind of um, gravity or or size it's it's taken four years to to finally sort of crack that open a little bit but everything else that's come before it especially in the last couple of years or last year maybe I should say I've tried to 
develop the skill of being able to find it quickly, you know, so I'm not spending two weeks preparing a fucking two-minute audition for a, an independent yeah, short film never, that's not being paid. Never. You know what I mean? It's it, like, yeah, yeah I'm just – because in Australia we can't – uh, cold read like you guys that's mm-hmm. a difference too if you if you have this if you have this the sheet in your hand in an audition i never have the sheet out. in my hand ever it's i like, know in some cds they want you to be memorized but hold it in your hand and i'm like no i'm not holding that sheet in my hand you will never see me holding a piece of paper in an audition yeah. unless i walked outside and had to get to know the scene five minutes ahead of time just never yeah. right Right, because that's really, I mean, it, they talk about it a lot in that LA, it's like cold read city, like you're, you're, oh, no one's off book, whereas here, it's, you can't have the sheet I can't, ever. I, I mean, I'm going to be spending a lot more time in LA soon, so uh, that's going to be interesting. I don't know. Hopefully there's time to memorize. I mean, I memorize things, you, you know, 20 minutes before I do them, so that's not really a, a problem. Well, you're lucky. I'm also, I don't really count. I have a photographic memory, so I don't count. Yeah. You don't even, don't even put that in the podcast. People usually get angry at me when I tell them that. Yeah, I can feel my blood boiling now. I am the worst at remembering lines and I don't know why it is, whether it's just the ADD side of me that mm. just finds it really hard to sit there and read and, and over and over and over and over. So that's why I really try and do everything else before I learn the lines so that hopefully by that point that will start to stick. But certainly I'm my sort of objective at the moment is to see how much I can pick up and redirect in a performance quickly on instinct, you know, so that I can be good in those quick situations or if I do get a part in a show where you're getting scripts the night before and you just then have to really rely on just your understanding of the story and the beats and what have you and you can just say the words inside that given circumstance and they will you know as a, as a last resort sort mm. of thing just as a technique you know because that really I remember listening to Anthony Hopkins talk about one of his big breakout films I want to say it's called The Lion but I could be wrong it was with Catherine Hepburn and Peter O'Toole uh. right like incredible and he said I didn't have to I didn't have to do much, you know, like I didn't have to worry about any of my physicality or where my eyes were going because everything I was in shooting in a castle and everyone was, you know, that's one of the amazing things of, of a proper set and what have you, you know, like, and great reactions from the actors around you and all this kind of stuff is you just, just knew the words and knew the given circumstances and everything else was taken care of. And you let it yeah. take care of if you. If only we all had know. that luxury all the time <laughs> <laughs> to do my self tapes in a castle. So no, he's amazing. <laughs> like yeah, he's amazing. That's pretty awesome. Um, <laughs> talk to me now. Your um, the film's gone out. You've got mm-hmm. ten sort of festivals. You're, and there's that whole waiting game that's that's looming over you now, waiting to hear back about that, uh, which is awesome. And please keep me up to date about that. And do you have a trailer for that? We do have a trailer for it, and I can I'll I'll share with you the I'll share with you the film. Like I'll just please, I'll just send you the film yeah. and you can see it. And it's private, but like oh. yeah. <laughs> 
no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, please do. Yeah. And then if you have a trailer or a pub, like a public link that I can attach oh, great. to this for people to check for out. For sure. Would be awesome. Yeah, it's an older yeah. trailer, but it's, um, it's good. So, yeah. Are you still doing online coaching? Um, I teach yoga mostly now. Um, okay. And I save my acting coaching for just friends. Friends who just right. need cool. need some extra little, you know, oomph. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm mostly just uh, writing and producing and auditioning and preparing to spend the next pilot season if it exists. Uh, <laughs> I hear that it's starting to just be all year round now. in LA. <laughs> It's, I mean, mm. it's sort of like summer's always pretty dead and then, you know, the winter, like December, January is pretty dead and and so on. But it'll, I'll be spending my first like actual pilot season in L.A. So. And you're from California, I'm from, right? I'm from L.A. <laughs> I'm, <Yeah. laughs> I'm from L.A. and I've never acted in L.A. because I went to school out there and then literally graduated, moved to a theater company that's a commune in Massachusetts, lived there, acted there, then went on tour in D.C. and Virginia and Maryland for like six months and then moved to New York. And then I've been here for 10 years. So, like, I never got to be an L.A. actor. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. So it's, well, yeah. this would be great. I've, it, I, I, I'm keen to see how that goes for you. That's really, really awesome. <sighs> um, but to, tell me what what's next? Like, what are you working on? Like, if you're writing a lot, talk mm. to me. What's what's the one that is, like, firing in your brain right now? Oh, my God. Well, I just actually finished writing a one-act for a festival that I'm actually really proud of. Um, but I, I'm starting work on my first feature. Um, okay, great. I can't really talk about it because uh, it's based on a true story. And I'm currently okay. in negotiations with the person who it's about for their for the life story agreement. So until the, the okay. life story agreement is signed, I can't say uh, Got you. who it is, what it's about. Um, but what I can say is that it is a very timely piece. Um, and it does have to do with the... LGBTQ, many, many other symbols and words that I can't remember. And I'm sorry if anyone's watching this. I'm sorry I can't. Please feel free to educate me. Um, mm -hmm. Community. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm looking forward to talking to a lot of people in that community who can, like I just said, can educate me more because I there's a lot I don't know. And I'm both really terrified and really excited to work on this project because because uh, there's a lot that I don't know. And can I ask you how it how it came to you, like sort of the events of? Yeah. Um, or... So uh, a friend of my parents actually uh, is friends with this person and heard this person's life story. And generally, you know, someone says to you, you know, I have this great story. You should write about it. Or I have this friend of a friend yeah. and you should write about them. And it's like, you know, <laughs> leave me alone. <laughs> Please stop talking to me. <laughs> I have my own ideas. I have my own brain. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, and I sort of uh, was like, uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then like I ended up actually talking to this person and um, was in complete awe of their, like, I'm going to start crying thinking about what they've been through in their life. Um, and I was just in awe. And, and this person is just such, so unbelievable, like as a human being, so joyful and ebullient after what, what they've been through. And, um, 
I even told them, like, I don't feel like I have the skill set to tell this story because it's not my background. But then they were like, I, but I want you to be that person um, because of trust, because of respect, because of our, our just artistic merit, whatever it may be. But mm-hmm. so I'm like I said, I'm, I'm terrified and I'm looking forward to learning a lot and to talking to a lot of people and hopefully even bringing somebody on to consult as well. Um Mm-hmm. Cause it's the kind of story where I want to, I have a very strong idea and it's going to be dramatized in a very specific way for me. Mm-hmm. It's very stylistic for me. Um, but I still want the truth of it to be very clear. Um, and will you play this character as well? No, I will not. I was very, I actually, oh. they asked me to, to play them. Um, and I said, no, um, because I feel like there are many, many, many actors out there who have a closer experience to them who could play this part absolutely beautifully. And there's actually another part of someone else in this person's life that I feel I would fit into better. Right. Um, yeah. I've also never written anything uh, for myself to play the lead in, ever. Okay. Every film I've written, every short play, everything I've written has had a part for me that is enmeshed within the ensemble that, that, you know, I star in things, but it's not about my character. It's about a group of people or a specific character that I'm supporting around. Um, I don't really feel the need to like write myself as the star. (laughs) Mm-hmm, I don't know mm-hmm. why. I, it's not that I feel like I don't deserve it. It's just that I I just don't feel the, the necessity. I care more about the ensemble. But, I mean, do you feel like that it's arrogant to do that? Uh, depends on the person. I think that entirely depends on, on the human being telling the story. They are arrogant, right. arrogant human beings writing stories for themselves, and they are very modest compassionate, loving, thoughtful human beings writing stories for themselves. And I don't think I can lay a, a blanket statement about anybody. Yeah, yeah, true. Agreed. Agreed. I try to stay away from um, those in general. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a good way to be. Um, let them reveal themselves to you first. Um, how does that whole, uh, what did you say? It was a life story agreement? Mm-hmm. How does that work? Just because this side of things as well is very fascinating to me. Sure. Um, You basically have two options when it comes to uh, making a story based on a private person's life. If you're writing a story about someone in the public, a newscaster, a celebrity, a president, whatever it is, you don't need the rights to their life because their life's been publicized. Um, But if you're you're working with a private citizen, um, you have to either get an option uh, slash option to purchase or a purchase agreement. If you're getting an option, you basically have a short period of time, anywhere from 12 months to 24 months to get the piece written and get a producer interested and get maybe sometimes get approval by the person it's about. Generally, the person who it's about, the owner of their life, uh, does not have the right to approve or disapprove of your story. 
if you're doing a purchase agreement, a full-out purchase, then you're buying that person's life rights either for a very long period of time or in perpetuity forever. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, and the same goes for for theater generally, but for theater, like, let's say you're adapting something for the stage, you know, an, an option agreement is more the the general generally used contract and what's the dynamic here with you guys in what way can you unfold that a little or unpack like well what's because she's come to you and so what's what is it that you're waiting on now like for your agreement to go through oh just we just need to sign sign the contract everything i mean this contract is is very very uh specific and very detailed Mm -hmm. And it's basically now mm-hmm. just me. Like I've made sure that everything is in there, both to protect me and protect them. Um, and now I basically said, you know, take as much time as you need. Talk to a lawyer. Talk to you know, take a look right. through everything. If you have questions or you need to negotiate certain things or you have hard rules that you need uh, in written down in this contract, you let me know and I'll work with you. Um, that's how I am. Anytime I, I deal with an option contract or a purchase contract, I'm very much, you know, a negotiator and someone who's willing to kind of be flexible. Um, I don't feel the need to to push an agenda on anybody else. So that 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 was a question that was popping up in my mind when you were talking about that. She has to come like you both lawyer up, and then who like with the contract is that because this is really fascinating to me there's something I've never like I don't know the inside how these how these things work she's come to you you've made it a specific um, contract how does it work in terms of the monetary side of things for, for both you and her there are several options when it comes to money like for myself because I'm writing this piece and even if I got it picked up by a huge studio or a big backer um, I would continue to want to produce this piece um, anything I write I also have a hand in producing I don't care who picks it up mm-hmm. I don't care if you're <laughs> Warner Brothers or Universal or Sony or whomever, like I, I'm, I produce my work, um, mm-hmm. and uh, you oftentimes if it's about a real person, they would get a consulting fee if they consult on the script, if they consult on the film, and the minute um, production starts is when that consulting fee is paid, um, and then you can also pay. I mean, if you're doing an option contract, if that's your first thing, you can pay uh, anywhere from $10 to $10,000 just to have the right to turn this thing into a a film or theater script. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, And a lot of people do do that. So you have that. You can pay a fee up front. You can do a consulting fee plus a net profits fee. So once profit starts to be made... Generally, it's anywhere between yep. 25 and 5% of net profits would go to the, the owner of the life story rights. Mm-hmm. The story. And then any yep. sequels or made-for-TV movies or whatever would come after, that person would continue to get a specific dividend, usually 50% of what they were originally paid um, in perpetuity right. for as long as uh, sequels or whatever are being created or produced. And you have a, um, a timeline within 
like you have to have this this film ready to go by a certain Usually point. Usually it's the, the script has to be ready to go by a certain point. Yeah, the, the script. script has to be ready yeah. to go by a certain point. Um, give me a second. I have to itch my ear. <laughs> <laughs> Earbuds get itchy. COVID problems. First world quarantine problems. <laughs> yeah, Jesus. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, I, I mean, I have a timeline for myself. So I've done option contracts in the past where, you know, we have 24 to 36 months to turn a book, a book that's been published into a stage play. Um, so I've done okay. that before. This is my first time doing a, an option slash purchase contract for someone's actual life story rights. It's a very similar contract no matter mm-hmm. what it is. It's just that the film terms and like lingo need to be in there as far as like money goes and production goes. Um Right. Yeah. Yeah, the jargon. jargon. So yeah. this contract is a purchase, not an option. Like I am outright purchasing these life story rights. Um, but instead of doing it in perpetuity, I've placed a period of time on it because if I don't get my shit together, I don't think I should just own someone's life rights forever. A hundred percent. That's just 100%. not who I am. Yeah. And who pays? So, and you have a production company that's going to purchase that on your behalf or are you purchasing it yourself? I, right now I'm working completely independently on this. I have not spoken. Nobody knows what this is about other than my fiance um, and uh, mm-hmm. the friend who introduced us. Um, there is money that is behind it already, individual money from an individual, not from a production company. Um my, Got you. Silent partner yeah, sort of thing. Yeah, so my hope is that once the script is made, which for me I'm hoping to have fully finished by end of 2020. Cross your fingers mm-hmm. for me. It's a, it's a big one. <laughs> it's a big script. Have you, have you any words on paper no, yet? No, everything is outline. I just have outlines. Yeah, right. nothing is... Like yeah, I have. And, yeah. I know. I know what the beginning of the film is. I know what the end of the film is, and I know where the switch in the middle is for me. Like, there's something that happens right in the middle of the film that's going mm-hmm. to be a massive, massive moment. Um, so I know those three major beats, and it's everything in between that is not <laughs> settled for me yet. <laughs> I have ideas. I also have casting ideas. Like, I know who I want to play certain roles. I just do. Mm-hmm. If you're out there. John Goodman. <laughs> I'm free, by the way, you know. John Goodman, I'm looking at you. Uh, <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Asia, yeah, yeah, Asia. Yeah, yeah, he's the kind of guy. Asia Kate Dillon, I'm looking at you. Um, <laughs> so there are, there are actors that I have in mind. Um, and so, yeah, I don't really know what the goal uh, – not the goal. I know what the goal is. I don't really know where it's going to go once I finish the script. Uh, it could end up being something I completely independently produce, um, which wouldn't be the first time. Um, but I also think it is a very special story, and I, I think it will get picked up by somebody else. I have, mm-hmm. I have like right. – I have almost complete faith that this story will get picked up by somebody. Do you, in terms of the writing, and I just want to throw this in there um, for for anyone listening, you helped me a lot with the park actually having having a read for sure. I mean, I'm incredibly grateful for you taking the time to read it and the speed in which you did. You know, there is probably 20 people out there who've got a copy of this script that have never read it and haven't got back to me. And they're my friends. <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> 
<laughs> so and, and and I get it. That's that's not a dig at them. This is more just a big thank you for for doing it. And it and it has had some major changes to the film, um, which serve it. You know, which is great because a lot of times you hear things and you're like, "Did you read it?" Because that doesn't make any fucking sense whatsoever. You know, and something. That you said to me, which, and I, and I probably, I would honestly say I don't agree with you a hundred percent in terms of diversity, but um, you did say one thing to me which I thought was uh, really, really powerful, and and I have since heard someone else say it. Oh, I heard someone say the same thing in the new TV show Hollywood. No way, they stole and my that, line. <laughs> yeah, and they said. Right, um, and you and I said, yeah, but you know, um, the 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 anti poaching unit over there is right now is a bunch of white American dudes and girls, and you were saying about you know throwing some different nationalities in there, and, and you said, yeah, but you could tell a story of how it should be, or or a place that we could get to, um, and I was like, yeah. No, you're right, actually. You're, you know, as much as I wanted to, like, find a way to come back at that. Um, and that's what, they was, that's what they were saying in this show is that you can't, you know, it's like the 40s. You can't have a black lead female in this mm-hmm. film because that's just not how it's done. And they're like, but, but shouldn't it be? You know, we have, an, we have a, an obligation as storytellers to showcase a better world if we can you know so thank you for that thank you I actually just started watching Hollywood I think I'm on like the third episode so I I am following along with you pretty well and it's it's a difficult thing because I feel like yes art needs to reflect the world as it has been it needs to reflect the world that we exist in now Mm. but I do think that it needs to reflect the world as we want to see it because how will we know where we want to go if we don't give people the idea that oh we can get there it's possible. Yeah, it is possible. Yeah, um, yeah. It's that it's that unfortunate thing that we're in now, where it's that seesaw effect, right? When 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 change comes, it comes a thousand percent the other way, and then and then whoever lost their upper hand pulls back really hard and it swings back the other way for a bit and then hopefully when it settles it's in the middle you know um it's a shame to see you know i was listening to joe rogan uh recently and he was talking about a friend of his who's written i want to say a film let's just say it's a film but it's about whatever gangs in the 30s in in uh, Manhattan in, in uh, I'm probably going to say this wrong but did you guys call it Little Italy? Yeah. Italy? Little, little Italy. Yeah. Little Italy. And yeah, <laughs> yeah Little Italy. That's a hard one. Um, <clears throat> and the powers to be wanting to change the lead real character to someone who's Asian or something mm-hmm. like that just to, to fill a diversity quota and it's like but that's that doesn't make any fucking sense at all because they weren't and it wasn't. So we're telling a real story about things that really happened. Diversity doesn't 
apply here because that's not how it was. You know, if you're telling a future story or you're telling a story now and you've got an all white cast, it doesn't make any sense. You know what I mean? Unless you're in Iceland, yeah. you know, even so there. like, you know, even there, mm-hmm. but, but, but not as much. But, you know, if you walk down the street in any major metropolitan city, it's as fucking mixed as mixed, you know, like it really, really is. And so if you if you deny that, then that's that's a crime as well. I think it's a we're in an interesting place because we have shows like Hamilton that, you know, I saw its third week on Broadway and it blew my freaking mind because I just never imagined history from that perspective. Plus the music was amazing and so was the choreography and it was just beautifully well done. <laughs> but um it's the whole show is contextualized. You have a very specific bubble in which it exists. And I think that there are some productions that are able to beautifully create their own bubble of this is history, but it's history our own way versus this is history and we're going to show it as it actually was. I think that there's there's room for both genres. Um, I think it just depends on how you make it. I think it depends, depends mm-hmm. on the direction and the production team and the casting directors and like you have to have a very clear clear vision about what you're trying to say and why you're trying to say it I think yeah I think I agree with you I think I just I like to see it when it's done in the spirit of creativity mm. and as as a new way of looking at it not not for the sake of political pressure or or I'm not going to get this over the line if I don't make it this yeah, way for sure you know I, what I mean but if it's like yeah do you know what I mean find that balance <clears throat> um you know it's just like when you're doing acting classes and you are handed a female section and it's like there's no reason why you can't play this as a male and recalibrate it like and that's a great expression of creativity and and also a great exercise in understanding different um, undertones and what have you of the writing there and the writing here and how it affects each person differently and their own experiences and what have you but yeah certainly for the sake of I'm not a fan I I don't know if I generally am either. In the end, I think for me, whatever makes the story more vibrant, more alive, more empathetic, more invigorating is, is what I'm going to be drawn towards. I don't care about anything but how yeah, well the story is being told. Mm-hmm. I think that, that leads to a really good point too in that if there is... You know, if the film does have a message, you know, that is important and needs to be told. If you can make some subtle changes here and there in the current climate, that means that more people are going to see it and it's going to be more effective, then I'm all for that too, you know, because there is a bigger objective than... Like, say, for example, my film, The Park, the objective is that people on a global scale through the power of cinema get to understand what's happening in in Africa right now. And disgustingly, it has escalated in the COVID-19 crisis. Poaching has gone through the roof, which humans are fucking disgusting. And that's just terrible that this is happening. I, I was just and there. So I was just there in the parks with the rhinos, like literally like three months ago. So like I, I feel, I feel fuck you. Fuck off. Really? 
They can't wow. even tell you. They're not even allowed to tell you in South Africa how many rhinos are in the parks, how many rhinos are in the country. They can't even tell you how many of the animals even exist because they don't want anyone to know the numbers because of people going after them. It's absolutely horrifying. In, in Botswana right now, they are trying to round up the last of the rhino population and herd them to a different location, you know, something like 50, whatever, 3,000 rhino to protect them from like a fucking, um, what's the word, like an invasion of poachers. It's, it's fucking insane. Oh, yeah. And it's and, and at the same at the same time, what do you do? You know, well there's there's a there's a line in my film which I get from a very good friend of mine when we were first hashing out the juxtaposition of this conflict, and that is he said, you know, there has to be duality of this story because if anyone I would do terrible things to protect my child. You've got six kids that are starving. You will do terrible things to make sure that they I th- don't. I think the most important question is um, not why are they doing it, but who is paying them and why. And oftentimes it is because there are black market traders from Asia who are using these horns um, from elephants and rhinos for medicines, for whatever herb remedies people are buying that do fucking nothing. And yet it's a yet it's mm. a multi-billion dollar industry in Asia and it is fucking insane. It's it's and we need to stop insane. them. But but, but in, <laughs> Well that's a harder one to do. If you were to if you were to take away the necessity to to to, to have to turn to this kind of um, means to survive, then you would take away their workforce. You know, and then they would have to somehow infiltrate with a with a much smaller band of poachers than you know tens of thousands of, of starving farmers. So there's a bigger, like like for example, if you were to try and crank something like that up here in Australia for something that was endangered, it would never take. You just you would not be able to get the masses to do it. You know what I mean? Because because no one is that yeah. desperate, you know, but they can go on the yeah. dole and they don't have to risk yeah. their lives, you know, but they, they, they don't have that option. You have to create a scenario where they can get by on like a standard income, basic food, income, water, high medicine and everything. We, we are, we are desperately failing the world. We're sitting yeah. here in our apartments you, with our iPhones you, and our microphones and all of our shit. And we are failing at least two to three billion people out in the world. Yeah, it's a funny thing. I, I scratched on something recently where someone was talking about all of this, but then they were also talking about the the there the, the, there being an underlying psychological problem or something in Africa that it it's not about. I mean, it's about many things. But there may also just be this troubled, like, collective consciousness that is always looking for a way to fuck itself up. Maybe. You know, because people have been trying for so long to rectify it and it ain't happening. I think those are those are really murky waters to get into because yeah. what the fuck do we know? <laughs> 
I know. Yeah, no, no, no. This was from the. This was, this was from an African mm. person was saying this. You know, this was an educated African person. This wasn't a white person trying to, like you said, white people trying to solve problems of Africa. Yeah. This was an African person saying this. And I just thought, because, and so, so this was, you know, they were like coming at on the, on the far end of years and years and years and years of struggle. Um, collective consciousness is a real thing. Um, it is so ingrained. But anyways, I didn't know what the fuck. Like I'm not, who am I to pass judgment or, or to make a, mm-hmm. assertions on something I have no idea about. But it is, it's, it's always been that way. And how do you change such a convoluted, multi-layered fucking shitstorm? Yeah. Like it's brutal. But, but seemingly at least Vetpour um, have done amazing things in the Kruger. Yeah. And before this COVID crisis hit, they were down sort of 30%. That was in terms of, you know, they were at about 1,100 a year and they were sort of down to 700 or something like that, which is since they had come in. They're doing lots of things, but fucking hell. I think the most important thing that we can do, other than donating money to people who are boots on the ground is to continue having these conversations. I think 100%. educating each other is the most important thing we can do. I would say I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And and one thing, you know, I've probably talked about the film on every episode <laughs> and I would say that you are one of two, maybe three who actually know what I'm talking about to, to a, to a greater extent. Everyone knows that there's poachers and everyone knows that rhinos are endangered, but to the extent and the why and the how and the who, no one knows. There was a really yeah, there was a crazy. really beautiful play at the public. Um, I think it was last season, I think maybe 2018 into 2019, called Malima's Tale. Um, and a friend of mine, uh, Ito, was in it. And it was all about poaching elephants for their for their tusks. And it was just it was so heartbreaking and so beautiful. And the elephant was played by like uh it was a man, but it was he was a man, but he was an elephant, and they used shadows to kind of play with the uh, the the gigantic the 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 enormity I guess of the elephant it was just so stunning mm-hmm. and I was so affected by it because like we don't see plays about that we don't we aren't seeing on like a on an international level on television in commercials in film we're not seeing these these problems <laughs> that have existed for decades now like they're just not being talked about mm. so it was just really emotional to, to see someone writing about it so beautifully and it being staged so beautifully for the masses to see for like 20,000 people who go through the public for a show to actually see and understand mm-hmm. that's great so. that's amazing yeah um there are yeah there is an increasing number of of things being done to try and bring awareness to this um and so far it's it's, there is a film called sides of a horn which is and i haven't seen it so i could be wrong but from from the trailers and what i've read it's and i'm pretty sure um richard branson produced it (laughs) but it is from the from from the perspective of the poacher Ah. so that we can get an insight into why 
you know, from their perspective. That's what it seems like. Um, Branson's an interesting guy, no, so that wouldn't be surprising. Hundred percent, hundred percent. And I and I read recently that um, <laughs> that Tom Hardy and Leonardo DiCaprio back in two thousand and twelve twelve had a film which for the most part kind of mimics the film that I've written in the former SAS soldier that finds himself in Africa and is, starts working for an anti-poaching, anti-poaching unit. Um, but of course though, they would have been a different story in that they would have been the lead and the hero and, and what have you. Whereas in mine, you have a mixed race African woman who's grown up there her whole life and has now become the head of a, an anti-poaching unit. Um, but it, it, there's no, it's, it, it's not in the ether anymore. It, it disappeared. And then I don't think they even had a script. I think they just had the idea, but there was an article and it vanished. Can I about that? Um, when I was, when, when working on option and purchase contracts, this actually goes back to those option contracts. Um, it's so unbelievable. It's nothing we create as original. It came from somewhere else. And the, the best artist to steal from my friend, Liam McKendrick, who's a amazing screenwriter, um, steal everything that you can just steal it all. It's not stealing it just to steal. It's stealing it to make it your own and absorb it and then birth out Mm. this beautiful new thing. But oftentimes when you have this great idea and you're too afraid to write it because someone else wrote something similar or there are 10 other people also working on something, oftentimes those projects never happen and yours ends up being the one. So like get those story rights or write that script or pitch it to whomever, but like just do it because it's... You, you and Leo may have the same idea, but like you said, like Leo's thing didn't happen. There's probably two or three other people out there writing something similar, but those also probably won't happen. So the, the possibility of, of yours 100%. being the thing is like, it's pretty high actually. You have to, yeah, you, you, you can't let that come into the equation or else you'll never exactly. write anything. Um, especially like some of the, the, the books that I've read about the, the cognitive side of storytelling is that if you have an idea, it, you've, you've plucked it out of the ether, out of the universe somewhere, a fucking thousand other writers are, are, are dialing into that same program or that same thing that is collectively happening amongst those consciousness. Um, so don't think that you're the only one who's just had this miraculous idea, yeah. you know, but you may be, just like you just said, the only one who gets it yeah. through. And that's that's just sheer, I mean, there's obviously talent as a writer, but that these days is not going to get you there. It's, it's everything else that you bring and to luck. the table. Like 80% of it, 80% luck. of it is luck. Like you getting cast in your first Broadway play, you getting to play opposite Kate Blanchett. It's, I mean, you may be talented. Like I, I'm sure you are, but it's luck. It's not God. It's not fate. It's not destiny. It's just luck. It's happenstance. It's chance. And so, but the work that you do to get to being lucky enough for that to happen is what's important. That's what's important. Yeah. Well, I reckon that's probably a good place to, to wrap it up. My, my dear friend Yvonne. I, know, I can't believe we've been talking for Thanks very for so much. Long. I know, right? That's an hour and a half, I think. That's pretty fast. good. <laughs> I really, really appreciate it. Uh, and I really appreciate the fact that we're, we still talk from time to time and you're taking the time to talk to me today. I know that it's, um, it's pretty hectic over there. And yeah, thank you so thank much. You. I'll see you later. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>